Insiders Podcast. We are back every two weeks. And today we have Nick from Wine Owners, Jonathan from Bottle Books, and of course, Lori from Outshinery. We have three big headlines topics to chat about today. Um, and why don't we just dive right in? Um, the first topic is um, international trade. Uh, it was this week, China came out and said that they were gonna put more duties on Australian wines. Um, there has been in the last few weeks, um, well, this was going back before, um, but in the last few weeks, they announced a delay on any European US tariffs. Um, and uh, tariffs are of course, not exactly tech, but tariffs, get in the way of tech or they're perhaps a problem that tech can help solve. Nick, I'm going to go to you first. Um, what do you, you know, does wine owners help anything with the management of, of, of tariff, tariffs and borders? What's your uh, viewpoint talking to importers in the UK um, about yeah. this topic? Yeah. So of course we've had a little bit of experience over the last quarter with Brexit and a slew of additional paperwork um, and um, typically import duties um, that people are thinking differently about. So if you were importing wines from outside of the EU into the UK, typically you'd have probably paid import duties, but you can't really do that now because otherwise you'll be paying EU import duties again when the wine gets shipped over to, the, to, to continental Europe. Um, so yeah, we think um, tech does have a role to play and particularly around shipping functionality. So tying up purchase orders with consolidations and making sure that the paperwork is done correctly, making sure the information is there and the output is, is done such that it leaves no room for error because we hear that one of the biggest um, problems uh, that importers and retailers face when it comes to dealing with new regulations, whether it's as a result of something like Brexit or something like the imposition of new tariffs is that um, things don't happen or things get delayed or, or costs get underestimated as a, as a consequence of not being familiar with the new rules, not being familiar how to complete the paperwork as a real cost, particularly for fine wine end where, you know, it can add maybe a hundred, euros comfortably to each pallet. Um, so um, we, um, we're working um, with those changes that are taking place to make sure that that's all embedded within the shipping functionality uh, that ensures that the fully loaded cost of wine is fully captured and understood so that margins are accurate and all the rest of it. Jonathan, you're working with uh, major associations from around the world. Um, are you hearing anything from them about these tariffs, about anxiety or opportunities or? Yeah, I think there, there is um, a shift in um, approaches to certain markets. You see an approach in, or shifts in, in the participation um, in certain events that might've previously been um, with a quite high participation, the, that participation has been uh, scaled back. Um, the um, and it's and from a promotional standpoint, from an association standpoint, in certain markets, um, you're also um, having to 
uh, file more bureaucracy, even at his association for the permission to promote the wines as well. Um, and um, some wineries have been extremely proactive and have gotten their um, have gotten their approvals uh, through. Um, others are just starting the process, and they're in a, in a, a very dangerous uh, or challenging gray area at the moment. That um, that they could be uh, not just uh, with tariffs, but they could be blocked out of the market. Um, uh, permanently or not permanently, but uh, absolutely for one or two years um, as an association. So there's, there's definitely some challenges on multiple levels from the topics that Nick was talking about to also even just promoting your wines um, in certain markets, uh, whether or not you think that there's currently a commercial deal to me to be made. Um, so it's, it's definitely a challenging time. Um, and some of these things are more political than logistical. Um, and so uh, not all of them can be solved by tech, but as Nick indicated, tech can play a role in making sure you stay on top of things for sure. Lori, what about you? Are you um, hearing anything from wineries? Um, yeah. So like we're not, you know, like fully privy of like the, um, you know, what's going on behind the scene at the winery. Uh, what we've been noticing for some uh, larger players is that wine that were um, apparently, you know, dedicated more to the Chinese market, for example, has been, I don't think it's been rebottled, but the label has changed before it was um, bottled and shipped to actually change to another market. So like maybe a bigger volume distributor in the US or something like that. Um, again, I can't speak of like the full, like, you know, strategy and numbers because they don't share that with us. Uh, but from the grapevine, we've been hearing like some, yeah, like some palettes such as this was for China. Let's wait, change the change the label and make it ship to you know Costco, like or you know or things like that. Um, more like bigger volume wines. Um, that's something we've been noticing. And I would second uh, what Jonathan was saying. Like there's so much like political behind it all. Like there's a lot of like you know egos and tit for tat um, answers, and it's just fascinating even to to see right now what's happening um, in the world of, you know, if you step outside of wine in the world of like cotton, and then right now, if you Google eight, I know they don't have Google in China, but if you search for H&M in China, like it would return zero results, right? Like it's just this kind of like power that um, is really hard to anticipate uh, that can affect uh, the wine industry in ways that, you know, even a month ago, I, I wouldn't even have thought that's even possible. And just like everything is possible with, uh, you know, countries like China and technology, like they have a really good grip on what technology can do for better or for worse. And what about that tension of, of building technology that can scale, can scale globally that isn't co country specific, but um, somehow countries can come in and impose regulations, tariffs, and suddenly make everything try to be local again. Um, yeah. it, it, do you see that? Maybe, I don't know. Any, anybody want to take that up? Um, as Nick, do you see that at all? Um, where where there's this tension in tech, especially wine tech, such a highly regulated um, industry. Um, I don't know. Um, so, I mean, that's it's a mindset thing, really, isn't it? I guess mm -hmm. rather than a tech thing, unless I'm misunderstanding the question. Um, but certainly in terms of in terms of being able to, you know, reflect 
those different jurisdictions. That's key in terms of, yeah, in terms of the way that it's the way that it's going. It's a mindset thing. Mm-hmm. And I think some before even before. Oh, sorry, sorry. Did, did, no, no, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so b- before COVID and before some of the recent tensions, like in Germany, I was hearing anecdotes um, from the South African perspective mm-hmm. um, that they were seeing their sales under pressure in in Germany um, with um, with people living in Germany trending to buy local local wines. And there was no real policy in place, but it was, I think, more due to um, uh, potentially with some some nods to environmental considerations of uh, global logistics change uh, chains combined with some really good marketing as well about, you know, being environmentally friendly to buy local. But uh, from wine as a product, if anything, it's I mean, if it's nothing, it's global. I mean, it's, it's something that was meant to travel. Um, uh, but marketing like tech does have is, is interesting. Like if you are trying to market into China, even before most recent times, uh, your websites would oftentimes get blocked or if they weren't blocked, it would run really, really slow. Um, and so from our side, we had to do extra investments um, over the last year to make sure that um, when, our, when our clients are running events in China, they're able to publish a site that is accessible both in China and outside China um, at the same time, at the same performance. Um, and, uh, you know, that that's one example, but it, it's, it seems like that may not be the last example in, in the coming years about having to have a more, when you have a more fragmented um, internet dealing with more local regulations and bureaucracies, but it's, it's, it makes some moving sometimes moving tech around a bit more, a bit more challenging as well. It's fascinating. I had no idea. Like, but it makes sense. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So a few wineries um, are in the headlines uh, recently. Um, one is an Argentina winery, um, oh, Wepesa, is sending their wines to age deep into the sea. And um, uh, Chateau Petrus is has sent uh, uh, wine into uh, space for 14 months with the International Space Station. Uh, now, they're both claiming that the wine's better, uh, richer. So uh, this, the wine that went into uh, um, under the sea is rounder, more elegant with fresher fruit. And the wine that went into space has more floral aromatics and tannins, a bit softer and more evolved. Um, Lori, are you going to start having to uh, make a digital? I don't know. What what does this mean? Is this just marketing? You're the you you know all about marketing. Is this just marketing, or um, is there something here? Um, you know, I haven't had a chance to taste it, so I'm going to say most likely uh, a lot of marketing, especially pretty like the space one. Uh, I mean, you know, Ellen. Uh, Elon Musk and Tesla um, and SpaceX is all very hot right now getting a lot of headline and it's almost like let's just like jump a bit you know on that um, like excitement uh, it definitely is like novel right like when you share that article with me you're just like whoa this is like unexpected random um, you know but it's just uh, like really fun so I really think it's kind of it's a marketing ploy but it's at the very least I would imagine like it uh, maybe helps um, consumers like remember even how wine is made. I think sometimes we forget we're so deep in the industry, 
you know, we are, you know, we know wine ages, we know it ages in different like tank barrels and everything, but, you know, no disrespect to my friends, like they don't necessarily like, spend that much time thinking from what happened from the grapes and the vine all the way to the bottle, right? It's just like sometime, right, it used to age in space. It happened to me, again, another industry like with beef recently, she's like, right, beef has to age, you know, before I can even eat it. Like it's obvious to a butcher, but like I just, I just forgot about it as a consumer. Um, so if anything, I hope it like kind of like brings a bit of a spark of like curiosity to even like, um, so how, how is it done otherwise? Um, and then for the, for the one under the sea, I recall I didn't read um, a couple of years ago, I think it was in Japan, like uh, whiskey that was being aged under the sea. So it feels like this is uh, less novel, novel in the world of wine. Um, and the whiskey claim also uh, had, were, like for interesting, but in any case, I haven't had a chance to taste it. But at the same time, sign me up. Like I love this kind of marketing. I would love to try it. Nick, in your fine wine adventures, have you encountered a sea aged wine? It, it is in fact quite a thing. I, I do recall something along these lines in terms of shipwreck wine many years ago. And, um, and certainly champagne has a big vibe around um, shipwrecks underwater uh, being pulled up after 80 years. I think uh, Heidsick Blue Diamond was one example on a Finnish uh, cruise ship um, that was pulled out of the water 80 years later in, I guess, 1990 or thereabouts, and apparently was extraordinary. Um, but, you know, I think everybody can experience this because there is a champagne house called Leclerc Briand, um, who is making quite big waves with some um, really very, um, uh, really very intense um, and, and, uh, and amazing champagnes. And they have a special cuvee called the Cuvee Abyss, uh, which anyone can buy. And the Cuvee Abyss... Um, is is basically aged for a number of months. I think it's uh, I don't know eighteen months or something uh, off um, off a Breton island in the Atlantic. Um, so there's there's definitely there's definitely there's definitely a history, um, as Laurie was saying, of um, of uh, alcohol and uh, and uh, and water. Um, and I also gather um, that this isn't the first time in South America that people have tried to age things underwater. There's there's the there's the case um, going back three three or four weeks ago, I think, of um, kegs of beer um, being aged under the sea off uh, Argentina, and um, apparently they got nicked. So um, when they went down to pull them out again, they weren't there anymore, which so they had to report it to the police. And, um, you know, I think had tech played a part in terms of making sure that they were properly inventories, that they had their, you know, barcodes attached, that they were using special stock that was able to withstand the sorts of humidity that you would expect to see in a warehouse and presumably under the sea, then you know, maybe with RFID tags on them, then that would have been all right. Um, 
I don't know about the space station and, and, and Chateau Petrus. I don't know whether it would have been cheaper and easier just to stick them on a ship and send them over to the US, which is sort of how they prematurely age most of their wines in the US. And I suppose the truth of the matter is that nobody ever drinks Petrus anyway. But if they were, I'm sure the secondary market value of Petrus with international space station strip labels and no doubt the extraordinarily high tariff barriers between the International Space Station and the US would um, put a real dent in the secondary market price. <laughs> Jonathan, what about you? Would you would you prefer the space station or the deep sea wine? Well, I think we have to add both values now to uh, to bottle books so you can select how your wine was aged. <laughs> but uh, but I but I remember I remember when I was younger, you know, wanting to uh, wanting to get those those stone aged or stone washed jeans. So I mean, being able to have innovative ways to age your products. Um, it's, uh, I guess it's not only in the wine industry or beef industry, but it's also in the Levi's uh, <laughs> industry. Um, but uh, yeah, certainly very clever. So last week before our podcast, um, before we started recording our podcast, we talked a little bit about perhaps doing something on Clubhouse. And Clubhouse is a new uh, social media network. Um, it's a bit exclusive sort of iPhone only. Um, but there is a growing wine community on there. Um, and since then, Stevie Kim of Bin Italy fame wrote an article about Clubhouse and the buyer, um, touting that this could be a great way to connect, especially in these times. Laurie, I think you know the most about this. Uh, why don't you <laughs> tell us what's up? Should we be on Clubhouse? <laughs> Um, so I got invited to Clubhouse. I was checking in uh, February 7, so pretty recently we're recording this on April 1st. Um, and I'm surprised by how much I love it. Obviously, I've been hearing about Clubhouse in different technology podcasts outside of wine. And I was wondering a bit what the first was about. It's just like, oh, it's kind of like a live discussion, live podcast, something. I'm like, okay, never mind. Don't have an invite anyway. And then a winery client of Outshineries that uh, loves tech as well. Like we did a tech panel at conferences together, sent me an invite. So first, I love that it's an Outshinery client that sends me an invite to Clubhouse. Like we're on the same wave. Um, and as soon as Ed invited me, like I'm in. And it is actually really, really fun. Uh, I'm surprised by uh, how smooth uh, the experience is. So the best way for me to recap it is you enter, you have your profile, you are mute by default and you enter rooms uh, with sometimes like thousands of people, but only like main speakers, uh, you know, panelists, if you will, can take the mic. And then it's really a game of like mute and mute. So it's actually very easy to listen to. That was my biggest concern. Like what happens when you have 1000, I mean, you know, a Zoom with 10 people is already like, you know, oh my God, there's a lot going on really, really smooth. Um, and it has been fun to find like people uh, about wine in there. And then you can, to me, like approach it a little bit like a LinkedIn, you know, it's, it kind of remove uh, the barrier to entry. Like you can kind of follow people, see what they're talking about. Um, and without having to, you know, ask for permission or without, uh, you know, having to go through like the info at winery name, like you can like, hey, I love this winemaker. If he's on Clubhouse, I can, you know, I find him, follow him. I find it still a bit challenging to 
really stay on top of like events that I want to attend to, like discussion. I love that you can add them to your calendar, like you would do for a webinar. If you make, hey, I want to do this, uh, you know, participate in that talk, I can like listen in. Uh, and then I will be able to tell you more because actually next Friday I'm being for the first time um, a panelist in like a wine uh, marketing discussion that is being held every Friday uh, by Ben Salisbury. Uh, so I'll, I'll know more like not so much from listening in but participating and I'm very excited about it. It's, it's very convivial and the fact that there is no uh, video it also feels um, you know more like spontaneous as well like you don't get caught up so much like oh like how do I look or like is my eyes going in weird places you know like none of that is happening um so yeah like I, I'm really curious to see how it evolves um it still is a bit elitist right now because you do need an iPhone uh, so I can see this being a problem but I'm sure they're working really hard on an Android version um but sometimes like I even get into the habit like uh, you know we are recording a podcast like right now, but I, I get into work and like, oh, do I listen to a podcast? So let's see what's on Clubhouse. You know, literally, I'm just at these two options. And it's been really fun um, to tag along. Uh, like it can be about startup. It can be about wine. And uh, it's fun to really like follow people that I want to hear more of. I think that you have to be a bit proactive. Otherwise, it can be um, very distant. So I'll report more. Like, I, like I'm really like just new to this. Um, but the barrier to entry technology-wise is incredibly low. Like that's really impressive. Jonathan, Nick, have you had a chance to try it out? I, I haven't tried it out. I've read about it. Um, I, I certainly see it as part of a bit of a trend towards more closed communities. So in the UK, we've got a platform called guildsgot.co which is again, the same sort of thing where people who are interested in a particular subject matter um, create uh, essentially a sort of a closed version of Facebook or link, well, effectively a closed version of, of um, LinkedIn groups really. Um, so I think, I think it's interesting that it's, that it's happening. I also love the idea that it's, you know, quite low cost to build these things and therefore I can see that an ecosystem is is possible to create quite quickly and I do do really believe in the value of ecosystems in the world that <laughs> we're in um, I think they can add an enormous amount of value I think there's a little bit of um, there's a little bit of kind of exclusivity and privileged access going on here mm -hmm. as well which I think everybody is motivated by um, and you know and we do and I think we're seeing more broadly models evolve that engage with people digitally and without them having to travel from place A to place B. We know that clubs like Oswald's and 67 Pall Mall, who are clients of ours, um, you know, is, is, is all about conviviality, about um, um, privileged access, about common interests. I think one of the interesting things that 67 Palm Mall are doing as part of their sort of growing global franchise is the creation of something called Wine TV, where they're actually moving off the sort of traditional um, Zoom channels, the sort of interactive tastings that they do with winemakers, and they're putting them onto a TV and video on demand platform, which I think is super interesting. Um, 
so, so without going into too much detail on Clubhouse, I really see Clubhouse as being part of a broader trend. And I think there's going to be tons of really interesting opportunities to um, connect like minds. I don't know if you want to say something about that sort of trend Nick was talking yeah, about. Yeah, well, I, I would, um, I mean, I'm, I'm still on the outside. I don't have, I haven't been let into Clubhouse yet. Um, but I would, I would go with what Nick was saying is that um, I think while um, uh, Clubhouse may be one of the ones best capturing the zeitgeist uh, of it, it's, it's definitely not alone. Um, we're seeing this also in the event space um where um uh, where the, this is more with video but um having people be able have creating um environments for events not in the wine industry but in other industries where um you're watching you go into a room and you're watching a presentation on stage and so you have an audience watching somebody presenting as if you were sitting there um in the audience um and it it resonates because uh, um a wine educator pointed this out um, a few months ago that one of her uh, biggest concerns with the with the fallout of the of any events um, when there was just no events really happening at all um, is that um, there are a lot of there's, there's a in every conversation there's a few people that are sharing their opinion and there tends to be a lot of other people around them that are interested in listening to that. And in the wine industry, that's often part of your education as well as listening to people more senior than you talk about their experiences, talk about their opinions. And if you're at a wine event, whether it's a London wine fair or whatever, um, you know, you, you might have people or you might be standing listening. And there's a lot of exchange, informal exchange or ad hoc exchange where you just you're learning by absorbing. And um, at the moment that's just not there. And so having digital replacements for that, it's, it, it's not, it's not something, it's not really something completely new. And I think that's why it works is it's, it's kind of a natural transition from physical into digital and it mimics something that we're doing in, in, in more normal times. Um, so um, I think it's, it's fascinating and maybe one day I'll, I'll be allowed to log in. Well, let, let me ask you, Jonathan, do you have an iPhone? I do, I do. Okay, yes. well, one of my seven invites can be yours. <laughs> oh, thank well, you. There you go. Thank you, after the call. <laughs> Yes, I'm on the inside. <laughs> well, that's how it works. But like, you know, like honestly, like you are a bit giddy when you receive the invitation, right? Like, you reminded me like when I've received my, I'm dating myself here, but like, you know, my first Gmail invite, like you were part of the cool, like the cool kids. But no, but seriously, like I would love you guys, whoever has an iPhone, um, like I'll, I just need your phone numbers. Like I can't do it by email. Um, and then you can log into Clubhouse and like check it out for yourself. Um, but I really... Like what I want to really like reiterate is it's just like another another channel, another medium. Like what's very different from Clubhouse, I feel, is that there's no recording. So it's very like ephemeral, um, which has a quality that is actually also like lovely. Like, you know, everything like right now with having this conversation is being recorded. It will be shared as a podcast. You do webinar and everything. And there's like, it's great to be able to record and use technology for this, but I find like the, the quality, like the language sometimes of what's happening when it's just in the moment and then it disappears. I guess, you know, I'm not a Snapchat user, but I think that's part of the appeal. Like you have that in podcast in an audio format. So um, worth checking out. 
Great. Well, that was another Wine Tech Insiders podcast. Thank you so much to our Wine Tech Insiders, um, to Lori from Outshinery, who you can see on Clubhouse, or you can listen <laughs> to on Clubhouse yeah. this Friday. Find, um, yeah, find me on Clubhouse. Like, please, if you're on Clubhouse, like, add me, and I would love uh, let's follow each other and see what we have to say. <laughs> Jonathan from Bottle Books and Nick from Wine Owners, who might be on Clubhouse soon. We will see. Um, see you all again in a few weeks. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks. Bye.